Hello everybody, welcome to another rambunctious episode of Bitch and Brew, a conversational podcast about music and miscellany. My name is Danny Randon and I am your host as I have always been on this podcast and probably will be until the end of time. I'm coming to you today from a slightly different location to where I normally record my intro and outro due to, that probably explains my hushed tones at the moment, I'm actually in a hotel room in Birmingham uh, is for the job that I do when I'm not talking shit on this podcast. Um, Down in Southampton, where I'm usually based, we just got battered by another bout of shitty snow. Uh, The beast from the east rearing its ugly head again. Thanks for that, mate. It's led to... uh, Uh, It's in fact led to a bit of a change of plans. Uh, This is episode number 19, and it was originally meant to be with Martin from Ginger Dope Photography, but unfortunately we just couldn't make it happen um, yet. Of course, I'm sure, be sure to get Martin on in a few episodes' time. It was for a number of reasons, including the weather. Um, and I was saving uh, the following recording for the big 2-0 in a couple of weeks' time. But I've been sat on it for so long now that I'm just sort of itching beyond control to get it out in the open. Um, as you may be aware from the title of this podcast and the artwork and whatever platform you use to find this podcast... My guest on this episode of Bitch and Brew is none other than Jamie fucking Lenman. I, I mean, to sort of paraphrase the legend that is David Letterman, my guest really needs no introduction, but because he's so lovely, I'll give him one anyway. He is a, uh, a solo artist, a singer-songwriter, if you will. Uh, his second solo album, which was called Devolver, came out last year via Big Scary Monsters. It made its way into my albums of 2017. It, I think it was, if I can recall, just shy of the top 10 when we recorded it. But on reflection, it would definitely be in the top 10 now. Um, A lot of people are probably more familiar with Jamie as the lead singer and guitarist of the much-missed band Ruben. Um, They're a band who have a real cult-like following and real passionate uh, fan base still like even it's been a decade since they split up now but they're still so passionate about Ruben and I admit that I was actually like inexcusably late to the party with Ruben I saw them on the main stage at Download Festival when I was like 13 years old and I'd heard a few songs here and there but it wasn't until uh, Big Scary Monsters reissued uh, their final album in Nothing We Trust Uh, for its 10th anniversary last year that I properly went in on Ruben and now I'm like, I'm properly, I'm properly in. Um, This was uh, recorded when Jamie was in town down the, uh, just down the road from me in Portsmouth on his Devolver album tour back in February. It was a fantastic show that he did um, at the Wedgwood Rooms. I was so happy to finally catch him live as a solo artist, uh, especially seeing as I was one of the unlucky sods to have missed his uh, Lemmania Festival last year, the inaugural Lemmania up in London, and I knew even before recording that this was going to be one of my favourite ever podcasts to to record and and to release. Um, I'd heard Jamie before on numerous podcasts, um, especially the uh, That's Not Metal podcast, where he's co-hosted and been a guest a couple of times. And I knew that his his humour and his wit and his 
his effervescence, if you will, um, would just carry this episode to really, really awesome heights. I'm extremely proud of it, um, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll be cracking on with the the main event uh, very shortly. Uh, But I just want to say stick around because at the end of this podcast, I'll also be premiering the latest track from a band called Camcorder. Uh, It's taken from their debut album, which is called Suck. Um, The track is called Ashes, and I'll be talking a lot more about that later on in the podcast. But I just wanted to say, if you're a fan of your your 90s alt-rock bands like Silverchair and um, and Weezer, then you are going to want to stick around for that. Trust me, daddy. Um, God, I couldn't have sounded weirder by saying that. Let's not ever do that again. Let's just get on with the main part of this podcast uh, right after I play a track from Jamie's latest album, uh, Devolver. This is a single that you might know and a single that you will definitely love and one that you need to play loud. This is called Hell in a Fast Car and it's by Jamie Lemon and I'll be speaking to the man with the moustache himself right after this. Yeah. 
And I don't really do an intro either, although I did kind of have an intro figured out. Yeah. Because um, although we said nice to meet you, yeah, uh, we have actually met before. I don't expect you to remember, because I'm sure you've met hundreds and hundreds of people before. Yeah. But do you uh, remember the Kerrang Awards 2015, where you had to be chaperoned to do a DJ set at the ticket holders only yes after party was that you it was me in the blue shirt yeah i think so yes of course i remember <laughs> nice to see you buddy that's great of course i remember yeah Fantastic. i i, I uh, chaperoned you and your lovely wife uh, to um, right. to a rather interesting Dear, DJ set. It no, was... that wasn't good for me i think that was just because george and james wanted me to be at the party and they could only get me in if they said you've got a DJ afterwards. And I was like, what? But I did get a lot of canapes. So it <laughs> yeah, worked out. The canapes were great. And I nearly met Marilyn Manson, even though we had the same press agent at the time. But he, he didn't bring him over, and I was a bit cross about that. I was probably about this close to Marilyn Manson at one point. Were you? What does he smell like? Uh, oh, uh, interesting question. Apples. Yeah. That's my Let's guess. Let's go with that. Apples. Like yeah. a good Granny Smith. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. Do you know what I think about apples, right? I like the, I think the Braeburn's my favourite and also I enjoy the Pink Lady and the Granny Smith's a bit too tart for me, but the one, the blandest apple, right, has got the most over the top name, Golden Delicious. Yeah. And I think that's a bit the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> they're, they're trying a bit too hard, aren't they? What, it's bullshit. What, what are you called? What flavour of apple is this? What is your name? Uh, golden. <laughs> delicious. Golden Delicious. <laughs> and it tastes of almost nothing. That's like, calling your brand of sausage fantastic taste explosion. It doesn't taste of anything. No, so, no herbs and spices in that yeah, sausage Beware the golden delicious, it's a trick. It's yeah. a branding. M- maybe you're right with Granny Smith being a bit too tart, but... Do you think? If, if there was an apple that Marilyn Manson would smell of, it would be it'd probably be the Granny Smith. Do you think a bit sharp? Maybe, yeah. It yeah. wouldn't be the golden delicious. Too no, bland, we, we too don't bland. Smell nothing. Don't smell nothing, yeah. Too bland for Brian. Yeah, Brian is his name, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did a joke about that when I was doing the cartoon for Roxanne magazine and uh, it didn't get in. Shame. It didn't? No. What was the joke? Just uh, my robot character. I had a character who would interview the. It was basically my ripoff of Pandora by Ray Zell that I love so much. I was a lot younger. So I had a similar character who was a robot who loved rock and he would just hang out with whoever had been the magazine, all the stars and whatnot. And it, but only he would sort of annoy them and get under their skin because I didn't like them. There was one where he uh, punched out Eminem. I was quite happy about that. That made it in. <laughs> that made it in. But in the one with uh, Marilyn Manson, he just kept calling him Brian and Marilyn Manson got anger and anger and anger. And it was, you know, it's pure art, but I was only 18 at the time. I thought it was very funny. It didn't get in. No. <laughs> well, you did... I, I found it very interesting. When we went to this... Uh, ticket holder on the after party which the ticket holders did not know about did they know oh clearly because only about six people turned up and it started while the main ceremony was still going on I remember missing the moment that Marmosets won Best British Album really yeah wow yeah so well so did I then I don't remember much because that was the the the, the, yeah all I remember is the canapes to be honest yeah (laughs) it was an interesting I remember you like Sticking on a lot of Rob Zombie and Ministry and that sort of... Uh... I did. I think the Rob Zombie was the one that broke the speaker system. Yeah, I, I mean, I played it too loud. I kept... Most of those people that did turn up were in the back room in the beer garden smoking. Mm. Because I'm a deaf old bastard and uh, I like it loud. And I'm not actually deaf, but I do like it loud. 
Yeah. Yeah. You didn't break the speakers that night because no, because no, you did the DJ set. Then Creeper did a DJ set, which was did great. They? Right. They did a lot of early MCR. Okay. Fucking hell. Uh, like pre Black Parade MCR. And then uh, a band who shall remain nameless because I never want to work with them ever again right. after chaperoning them. Because okay. you know it's only a short walk away, right? Yes. They insisted on coming in the van from the Troxy to the to the pub down the road. Right. I can't remember the name of the pub, but it was literally a five-minute walk. It's the same night as us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. they decided to just play a load of dubstep and then rip all the cables out the back with mm. uh, with one DJ set still to go and the sound man had already gone home at that point. I can't stand people like that. I I remember we did a uh, heavy festival, heavy fest back in the day and oh, right, Dillinger were on before... Um, Who's that band that sounded a bit like Glassjaw, Coheed? Mm. And uh, Dillinger at the end of their set, like, stamped in all the monitors, like, ruined all the monitors. And you're like, mate, there's a band on after you. I can't... That might not be the the actually what happened, but that was what we were told at the time, like, fucking Dillinger's wrecked the stage. It's like, mate, I'm glad you're having a good gig, but it ain't just you. It's yeah. everyone on the stage. It's your responsibility. We're all brothers and sisters in arms. I can't stand that kind of behavior it's it's everyone's gig and i feel mm. the same about you know these gigs that we've been doing on this tour it's not just i know my name is technically in the biggest font and i have the longest set and i go on the latest but it's everyone's gig mm. and so i like to make sure that i leave the stage even though i'm on after them you know i make yeah. sure everyone they've got a good amount of sound check time and i don't fuck all their gear up and whatnot and you mm. know leave it as you would hope to find it and they do the same for me it's it's great i feel like it's you know everyone on that stage even the first act on that stage right the way up to coheed they're all on a level mm. in a certain sense yeah no matter who's got ideas above their stations or whatnot i think we're all equal on that stage i don't know if that's a bit preachy no no it's cool can i swear on this yeah yeah it's oh, cool good great <laughs> are you just are you just gearing up for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that playing during the DJ set being heavily on sort of Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson and Ministry though was that quite yeah. a pivotal time uh, musically sort of when you were, when you were, was that a big part of your musical upbringing? Well, it was. I mean, those were just bangers. I was told or I was requested, and I was like, well, "Great, put on a bit of specials." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's a rock magazine." I was like, <laughs> so I went heavily for rock hits, and yeah, a lot of them bangers. More of the dancey ones, like Rob Zombie, White Zombie are always, I mean, they were sort of introduced to me as dance music, and they are really, oh, yeah. heavily groovy, every track's got a tambourine on it, which I like, and that first Rob Zombie album, yeah, was huge for Hellbilly. me. Hellbilly. Hellbilly, beautiful. Yeah. And uh, not much since, but Hellbilly remains... Um, incorrupted over the years. I still go back to it maybe like once every other month, and it is still... It still stands, you yeah, know. Funny enough, I don't have an iPod, but on the tour, I brought with me my MacBook, which doesn't have a CD drive. So I just loaded up some albums on iTunes on a key, and one of them was Hellbilly, because I thought mm. I'd give that a listen. I think it's beautiful. But yeah, that was big for me at the time. And obviously, Marilyn Manson, I was very hard into Marilyn Manson. And I still listen to those first four Marilyn Manson albums regularly. You know, yeah. I don't, it's rare that I grow out of anything. Like, I still watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles every, <laughs> every week, mate. I still like play with Ghostbusters action figures. Well, things that I decide I like, mm. whether when I was three or I was thirty, I generally stick with. Yeah. And Marilyn Manson and Green Day and Nirvana are those. Less so now, but maybe at the time, there was a point where it was a little bit unfashionable to say that you like Green Day and Nirvana and whatnot. Yeah. 
um, or Silverchair. I think people sort of thought those bands were a bit faddy and definitely they very 90s, although mm. Green Day, of course, have gone on to transcend that. But yeah, now it's easy to say, oh, I fucking like Green Day and Nirvana and whatnot. But for the time, I think they were, they, people always almost um, viewed them as like training wheels bands. Yeah. You know, like your, your first bike, you got them on wheels, <laughs> listen to a bit of Skunk and Nancy, listen to a bit of Ash. I haven't gone off any of those. Um, is there a record that I don't really listen to anymore that I used to a lot? I don't think nearly as many people listen to 1977 by Ash as as they should right well I mean I'm never an Ash fan but they, oh really they were, no I never got it they were always a bit I thought they were a bit wet you know I sort of um, I put them in the same box as Oasis a bit like you would have people growing up that listened to like Nirvana mm. and Oasis which to me seemed a contradiction in terms yeah I, I thought Nirvana sort of stood for everything against everything Oasis stood for I thought it was either or but lots of people like them together, and Ash as well. I think, well, how can you listen to Nirvana, which is about as real as it gets, and then listen to, where did you go? Is that Ash? No, that's the Blue Tones. <laughs> All that stuff. I, fucking, I like the Blue Tones. Ash was like Girl from Mars, and... Yeah, I mean, they got good, just a little bit wet, just a little bit wet, I thought. Yeah. But if you liked them, I like you, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it must have been like, I, I think me listening to Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson around that time yeah. you know one of my first rock albums ever being like Hell Bidley Deluxe like my dad used to work a lot in Canada yeah. and so he was you know he would actually go out to the Rob Zombie show on the Hellbilly tour in, in Toronto really and he was a rocking dad yeah oh yeah cool as has been mentioned many times on this podcast right. he, he's still in more bands than I am he's in like four bands these days is he yeah any of them any good uh, maybe two of them. It's oh, not, not a bad going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he came. I remember he came home once. He managed to get for some reason a huge. And we we're talking fucking massive, eight eight by eight foot um, copy of the Hellbilly Deluxe album cover, which wow. is you know from one of the talk like a massive poster of it. Oh. And he still got it, sort of um, a blue tack to the ceiling in the spare room in our. In, in I'd like to uh, meet that dad. He sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I remember he brought it home though, and I was like six at this point. Oh, that's And he unravelled it. He unravelled it, and like, it wasn't necessarily the image of Rob Zombie that scared me because I could look at the album cover. Yeah. It was the enormity of the poster, and for some reason, yeah. it gave me a really weird childhood fear of like big posters. <laughs> like wow. I don't know why but it would take me like until I was about 10 years old until I could put a big poster on my wall wow yeah you're fucked up man <laughs> wow we got when I was back in Reuben um, Avril Lavigne's first album came out and Guy the drummer was a little bit obsessed with her because obviously she was cute and you know the songs were cute as well we had to listen to that first album of hers quite a lot if he was driving somewhere that would be in the car we got to know it quite well and I'm going to say, there's some good songs on it, mate. And, there are uh, some great songs on that. We went to see her live, and then I, for his birthday, I got like an industrial architect planning office to use their like A0 printing machine <laughs> to print off a massive, I'm sure this is illegal, but I just got a picture of her and had it blown up as big as it would go, and he just loved it, and he had it as well. It was massive. Do you know if he's still got it? No, I don't think he has. Well, he moved out of his folks. Or has he moved back? I don't know. I know he's got a little house in Cove right next to me. No, he doesn't still have it. But Well, he'll have it somewhere. He keeps things. He's a collector. Right. It's not up. It's not up. At least he hasn't shown me the room in which his Avril Lavigne shrine resides. 
So yeah, I've only been downstairs. Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you quite a hoarder yourself? I'm not. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. What I yeah I don't often throw stuff away, but it's not like. I have to walk through a tunnel of stacked newspapers to get to my fridge. Type yeah, those, those programs you see, like the uh, you yeah. know where they get the professional uh, like hoarding addict um, mm. advisors in to help I mean, people I, clear their house out. That's pretty terrifying. I've got a lot that. of stuff, but it's very neat. Mm. So, and there's only and there's like designated areas where it is. So, you know, if you come to my house, you know the public rooms are all very neat and orderly and nicely appointed and then there's my study which is just crammed yeah full of movie memorabilia and action figures and whatnot and i'm reluctant to throw stuff away i'm one of those you never know where you need it i mean i have a better threshold than the woman who had 20 pool floats just hanging around because someone yeah. she might go to the pool with 20 kids at one point i mean that's a genuine uh, illness but uh no i always think won't throw that away and there's always bits of wood hanging around because I think I'll make a nice shelf out of that yeah. one day and always oh, you, you know. never you'd rather have it and not need it sure. than need it and not have it but then I saw a, I saw a TV program the other day where these these parents had decided to live like a minimalist life and their kids didn't have many toys and, and the mum said look we have a six months rule if you haven't used it in six months we get rid of it and I thought hmm because all that space Say if you've got a book, I mean, I've got a lot of books and I've got thousands of CDs. I haven't got rid of them. I like physical objects. Yeah. So actually I am a hoarder, but it, well, it's not hoarder because I still use them all. But yeah, a book I've got, you know, let's say for instance, Moby Dick, my favorite book. I haven't read it for three years. So mm -hmm. under that rule, yeah, I should have got rid of it two and a half years ago. And I think, well, I want to read it again one day. But you think when I do want to read it again, which might be in another four or five years, just pay two pounds and get another copy, yeah. you know, and give it to the it's, charity it's, shop. It's not like it's gone out of print. Exactly. So maybe there is a rule to say, especially with books like that, maybe maybe give the book to the library or yeah. back to the charity and just get a new copy when you want to read it. Well, I've got a nice copy, though. Yeah. I do like Moby Dick, so, <laughs> you know. You got any first editions of anything? Mm. My, my, my other half is, well, she was a literature master's student, right. so I'm like... She's like, don't touch the first editions. Right. And she's got of like, I think she's got Little Women, and I think she's got like a couple of other. No, I have. I mean, I'm like that for action figures. So I've got like unboxed oh, really? action figures of a couple of nice bits. Yeah, I'm not really. Even though I have a lot of books, I'm, I'm not a book fetishist. Although to say that you own a book is to be a book fetishist mm. because now we have the Kindle. And there's there's literally no reason to own a book other than the fetish of smell and feel and weight yeah. and attachment to physical objects, which is a fetish. So, but I don't quite go there. I don't get excited about the physical object of a book. I do have some first editions of like books that my friends have published. Like mm. I know a lot of great artists and graphic illustrators who kindly give me they'll give me one of their first runs, and I treasure them because mm. they're by local artists who I love. So they are first editions, but yeah. not not in the scale of like Little Dorrit, you know, I don't have any of them business right. now. Or Harry Potter even. I've got all the Harry Potters. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> what did you think of the Fantastic Beasts film it was from a last pile year? of shit. <laughs> I thought it was it was as close to as Hollywood is ever gonna get to making a Doctor Who movie because they keep trying to make the Doctor Who movie and if you look at the poster of Eddie Biglips on that poster <laughs> with his <laughs> 
fucking collar up and his tweed coat and he's yeah, holding he's that very, magic he's, wand. Yeah, he's just the doctor. He looks like Matt Smith as the doctor. He's got the same air, the same stupid pouty look on his face. The what? Look, anything could happen. What's going to happen? We don't care, mate. And his fucking glowy wand, sonic screwdriver. It's Doctor Who the movie. He's just playing that character. It was so bland and it reeks so much of desperation. And I'm talking to someone who adores the Harry Potter books and really liked all the films. No matter how much they diverge mm. from the, the source material, I thought they were all very good films. And the Fantastic Beasts is just a waste of everyone's time. Ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. Quite cross about it, sorry. Well, we went off on a bit of a tangent there before I even introduced you. So, mm. uh, Jamie Lemon, welcome to Bitch and Brew. Hi, is this not the podcast? Have we not been doing the podcast we've this whole not, time? We've not even hit recording yet. Oh, wow. Okay, all <laughs> uh, right. As is customary, uh, you, you, are the fir- you are the first guest to talk from the one and only uh, Bitch and Brew mug, which I probably should get some more printed sometime. Yeah, I didn't even realise um, that I was so um, honoured. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, well, I ordered it specifically to do like the new uh, artwork for the podcast. Um, That's nice. But yeah, so you went, I brought a tea caddy along much to your amazement and it was really, uh, it was and, you, and you went for English breakfast tea that that was that was that was straight away your pick I like what I like mm. yeah I ain't got time to muck around it's like you could try Assam or you could just have a good cup of tea you know well I went for a nice milky Assam myself yeah yeah uh, what because you're um you're teetotal aren't you I am yeah yeah so you are you quite a, a hot drinks man do you need like Four cups of coffee in the morning to get yourself started, or don't need nothing to get me started in the morning, mate. I, but I do like a tea. I mean, I don't need tea as a crutch. I know some people are fucked and still have had their first coffee or even tea. Yeah, and I don't even well because I have decaf as well, so I don't really get the kick from it. It's just comforting, isn't it? And I got into tea when we were. And this is an old story, but it's not even really a story. It's just a thing I'm going to say. But I got <laughs> into tea when we were touring because we. We couldn't afford anywhere. This is back when I was a nipper, like 1920, going on the first few tours. We couldn't afford travel lodges or anywhere to stay. We didn't have enough mates around the country. Mm. So before the last song, we would say, this is our last song. Can we stay at someone's house, please? Come and find us afterwards. And people, every night, someone would come and say, yeah. stay around mine. It was brilliant. And we made some lasting friends. People I'm still friends with today, I just met at a gig and they said, I've got a spare room or even one place we slept on their kitchen floor. You know, any space they had. And the thing is, when you go back to someone's house, they're all just normal people and so are we. And most people think, oh, I've got a rock band staying. Yeah. I better be excited. And they would say, well, we haven't got any cocaine or prostitutes. Sorry. It's, but, it's, but we have got tea. Pe- people are sort of very misled into terms of how glamorous like a backstage can be. But or like, you know, having like people stay at their house, well. you know. Yeah. So... The only thing they would offer us, they would say sort of apologetically, tea and toast and telly. And we were like, that's exactly yeah. what we want. You need those homely comforts. Exactly. So that became, that's when I started drinking tea because I wanted to say, yeah, I'll have a brew, you know. Mm. So I started drinking tea then from the tour and it was great. And those were my favourite days of just every night you'd make some new friends and you'd just sit and you'd have a chat and you'd watch the telly with these people and just make friends. I loved that. And as soon as we could afford travel lodges, we started staying in travel lodges and I was a bit sad about that. With the proper tea and coffee making facilities, though. Yeah, but I mean, by then I was hooked. I was making it for myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the little biscuits. And the little biscuits. Mm. Mm. Are you uh, are you quite a creature of habit when it comes to touring? Do you have like things that you need to do before each show? Or? No, I think that that way lies absolute madness. No, I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite. I don't have any habits no. or any routines. No, I, 
those people who've got to like touch everything blue in the room or the gigs oh, going yeah, well. Oh yeah, that's or, silly. I mean, like you know, do you, do you like what? What do you like to do in your downtime on tour? I don't get any. I don't get any downtime. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, that's not actually true. Recently, we started a little routine of uh, when we go to towns. We've been to quite a lot of towns that I know there's some good shops round about. So in Manchester, I knew I wanted to visit Affleck's Palace, which is a great big market in the cool bit of town. So I said, boys, look, would you mind loading in, taking the gear in? I'll go to this market and have a look for some bargains. And they're like, all right. And we did that again today. I know Albert Road is great for boutiques Albert and Road shops. Is amazing, Turns yeah. out they're all shut on a Sunday. But <laughs> again, I said, look, I want to go shopping. Can you lug my gear? And they're very helpful to me. So they were, yeah, I, you know. So um, that is, that's become a little bit of a routine on this tour. But usually I just, you know, there's always something happening. You, you turn up, you load in, you set up, you sound check, you pack down. And then I've usually got, you know, two or three interviews yeah. To, do, to speak to people, which I enjoy. What like doing. after shows? No, before the show. Oh right, okay. And then by the time that has happened, um, it's sort of time to warm up and get changed and, and get your head in a go on stage mm. place. And if you manage to get a bit of dinner in between that, all you're lucky. So I don't really have any downtime at all anymore. No. Hi guys, Danny here again. I'm sorry to be so rude as to interrupt this wonderful conversation uh, that I am having with uh, Jamie Lemon. But uh, dear listeners, if you enjoy what you are hearing, then make sure that you are subscribed on either uh, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Acast. Uh, if you are using Apple Podcasts to listen to this, then also be sure uh, to give Bitch and Brew a positive rating, a, a full five stars if you if you want, uh, because uh, it's really vital to the exposure of independently run podcasts such as this one. And that that is, of course, only if you are enjoying it, which I hope you are. Um, don't forget that we've got that exclusive track premiere from Camcorder coming up later on. Uh, but before that, I wanted to play another track from Mr. Jamie Lemon. I usually... Uh, play two cuts from my guest's most recent body of work. However, I wanted to play this next song from Jamie's debut solo album, Muscle Memory, uh, because he played it live at the gig where we recorded this podcast, and it absolutely floored me how he and and his drummer Dan hit every single note. It was it was absolutely crazy. So, um, part two of my chat with Jamie Lemon is coming up right after this slice of utter sonic barminess uh, this song is called one of my eyes is a clock
Has it always been just you and Dan uh, playing since since you started your solo career? Has yeah. it always just been you and Dan? No, I, when I had my, um, I brought out my first solo album about five years ago, 2013, mm. right at the end. Yeah. Four and a half, five. And at that point, I was touring. The first tour we did was with the Heavy Metal Band, which is Daniel plus two other people on guitar and bass. Right. And we toured with them, and we did like one-off shows and festivals with that lineup. And then we did another tour where that got even bigger, where I brought in a brass section with three people on trumpet, saxophone, and trombone, which is just amazing, plus guitar and bass and drums. So that was a seven-piece heavy metal band. And every now and then, we've also got uh, one of our roadies, um, Rob Piper, he's a mean sax player, so he will step in every now and then if he's... Oh, is he the guy that was playing sax at Lemania? That's right, that's right. Yeah. If he's doing the tech, he'll bring his horn and we'll have a bit of a play. So the, it goes up and down, but at, its, at the moment, yeah, I decided not to um, bring the heavy mellow band again for lots of reasons, one of which was that it was just an awful lot of effort and to say, do you want to do 12 dates with the heavy mellow band? Do you want to do 12 dates with just you and Daniel? That's like, you know, halving, quartering the workloads. Yeah. Plus it allows for a lot of freedom uh, between myself and Daniel. I think the more people you have on stage, it sort of thins it out a bit, it spreads the energy around a bit. And I find if you're a solo act, you want things to concentrate on that main person. Mm. And, and the less people I have around me, I feel I can have a more direct contact with the audience. Yeah. So I feel at these shows, and we did a tour last year as well, with just me and Daniel, I felt a much stronger contact with the audience. And I think um, they felt it too. Mm. And I'm not sure if you would ask a member of the audience, <laughs> Did you feel you had a stronger contact with Jamie Lemon? <laughs> and why do you think this was? I don't think they'd go, yes, I did. It's because there was only two. But I think that is, it's been responsible for yeah. the, the great reactions. Not that we didn't have a great time with the heavy metal band. Yeah, it's, it's the sort of, you know, do you, do you allow a lot of tech to facilitate creating a bigger sound with just two people? Because I, I don't know much about guitar, but I'm a drummer. So right. like, I don't know much about pedals at sure. all. And so does, uh, you know, sort of having pedals and stuff make it easier to create a bigger sound with just two people? We, I mean, me and Daniel have a joke that every time you get rid of a band member, you get six more guitar leads. And there is. <laughs> but I've always been very anti-tech. You know, ever since we've been touring, I've only the only effect I've ever had was the channel select on my amp. You know, I don't right. even have a distortion pedal. I just have clean channel, heavy channel, and I have a select between them. And I have to block off every, it's got a reverb setting as well, which I hate, so I have to block that off. I've got one switch. Then after about five years, a record label, Blur's record label, bought me a tuner pedal, so I wouldn't have to like play my tuning to the crowd. And I don't really use it. So that, <laughs> then my pedal count went up to two, which I wasn't very happy about. Then towards the end of Ruben, we started messing about with loops and I would loop bits of guitar. And so I had this big old fucking Akai Headrush loop station, which was a big clunky piece of gear. And it made it very tense for me to tour. And in fact, that played a big decision in not wanting to play music anymore because it just got too complex. Mm. So really the more pedals you have, the less I enjoy. I've now, since I've been playing the bass myself, right. that does necessitate a third pedal. Right. So okay. I now have three pedals, which to me is quite a lot. It's just about as much as I can cope with, and I don't intend to get any more. No. Yeah. Well, I know that you've. Uh, is it was it just in London that you switched around and played drums for a song? 
and Dan play guitar. We've been doing it every night on the tour, and it gets easier and more fun every time. Yeah. Have it, are you? Are you? Have you been drumming for long? Are you a drummer by nature? By nature, I'm not anything by nature. Apart from <laughs> a big old baldy cunt. But uh, <laughs> the uh, no, yeah, I've been drumming for almost as long as I've been playing guitar, and at like varying abilities. I, I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at guitar, and I'm even worse at drums. But I do enjoy it, and really, that's all that matters. Unless you're asking people to pay to come and watch you. <laughs> and I was a drummer in a band for a couple of years, and we did quite a few gigs. And in fact, we toured with Ruben. I would do the opening set with my first band, I'd have half an hour to catch my breath and then I'd go on as Ruben, at, not as Ruben, with Ruben. Yeah. Um, and that was fun. Uh, you know, like I say, it's fun. I like playing the drums, but I'm not very good at it. And, and the band I was in just about made do, you know, I, I've never been very interested in like people who are fantastic musicians. I can sort of admire and respect it, but in terms of music and the kind of band I like, that's never been the top of my priority. So, you know, for instance, in this show, when me and Daniel have a bit of a swap around and I play the drums and he plays the guitar, it's clear who should be playing the guitar and who should be playing the drums. <laughs> but because we've got a bit of space and we're playing a slightly longer set and because the record that we're here to sort of promote and um, play around with and yeah. represent has a lot of drums in it, you know, and, and we play it and it's got a heavy emphasis on rhythm, it just felt like the right thing to do. And I... I like to play drums and I just thought it'd be a cool thing to see happen at a rock show, you know, if you, mm. imagine you went to see a band and then halfway through they fucking swap places, like, and yeah. the music doesn't stop at any point, you're like, and then he fucking did the song and then they sang it and you'd just be like, you tell, there's something you tell your mates, isn't there? Yeah. you go, fucking cool, and I'm sure it's been done before, but I haven't seen it and you just hope that would make people go, wow, that was cool. It's like almost a sort of musical version of when a car stops at traffic lights. Have you ever seen that, where people get out of the car and everyone basically goes one round? So person in the passenger seat would go in the back left seat, person in the middle would go oh, in the back cool. right. That sounds person really on the back right would go in the driver's seat. It is a bit like that, yeah. Yeah. It just, um, like, it puts the emphasis on having fun over having a serious music, which, like, I prefer to have fun yeah. than having every note perfect. There's not a lot of room for fun with precision. Precision and fun don't have to go hand in hand, do no. they? Fun's got to be a little bit messy, and that's how I like I, music. I, 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 I totally agree, because uh, back in December, I saw uh, Ginger and CJ from the Wild Hearts on their acoustic tour. Oh, right. And, um, you know, uh, they did a song from the last Wild Hearts album, uh, Chutzpah, and, um, and they'd totally forgotten the lyrics. And yeah. it beca instantly became the highlight of the night. Yeah, you've got to just allow for that. I love that kind of thing. And most nights, I will fuck up some chord or whatnot, and um, hopefully I've created an environment where that kind of thing is okay. No one's asked for a refund yet. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm just... Can yeah. you imagine if that was a thing, though? Like, that would become custom. If, if one band said, if we, if we balls up one note or one chord, you have the right to get a refund. Jesus and Christ. that just became... Maybe, maybe you could work out the pro rata of what that call represented of the set and of your ticket price and maybe you get like 2p off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could do that. 2p off however many Or like a loyalty card. You get it stamped every time. Someone, every time I make up. a mistake, yeah. But then I think that's your special present. That's your live version. You know, it's not, you don't get that chord on the record. That's especially for you tonight. I I'm, I missed it, but uh, download last year. It was um, I'd I'd gone off to see the aforementioned Dillinger Escape Plan do their final ever UK show, mm. uh, but just a little bit beforehand, I went to go and see a bit of Slayer. 
Oh yeah. And uh, this happened after I'd left, but I'd heard lots about it. About during South of Heaven, apparently Tom Araya just um, just started giggling and couldn't stop. <laughs> it's like that's not a band you associate to suddenly break out with a giggle fit on wow. on stage. You've got to be on a lot of drugs to still be doing it that long, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't like to cast dispersions. But, uh, yeah, fair enough. Why not? Yeah, you get the giggle sometimes. Especially when I sing my song, um, It's Hard to Be a Gentleman. Right. Because it's like a little, a sweet little love song and it says, what is it? Baby, why don't you tell me the truth? And then my old producer, Sean, while we were recording it, sang... Where is me other front tooth? And I just <laughs> And I can't not hear that every time I sing it. I have to stop myself. So yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks. <laughs> you're going, speaking of download, you're going back to Download Festival. Is this the first time you've been at Download since you've been doing the solo thing? No, I went the first year that I was solo. When we, the record came out right at the end of 2013. So then we toured it in 2014 and we did lots of festivals, and Download was one of them. It's great, we did two sets. I did a little acoustic set of my own, and then we did like an all metal set. Mm. Fantastic, I really like going to Download, and I I feel like, you know, Download's one of them festivals who don't forget, if you're in with Download, if you're Download's mate, they'll mm. always ask you back, and I, I really like that, so I'm pleased to be going back this year and saying, yeah. hello Download. I've had some great times at Download. That's some dodgy times too, played on a skate bowl rink that was a bit awkward, but you know, and that ended up being a good show as well, so yeah, do you, it's do always you, fun. How do, you, how do you look back on the um, on the main stage set in 2007, because that was my introduction to, to Ruben as a 13-year-old. Thank God, at least someone was watching, yeah. <laughs> I think George Garner from uh, Music Week says the same thing, he was there. I think, I think it's great, I think it was definitely a career highlight for us. They gave us the option of going on, they said you could go on late, you know, high up, one of the lower stages, maybe the second biggest stage, where you could go basically first on the big stage. We were yeah. like, big stage, that's all we were interested in. Main stage, please. And the poster, I've still got the poster, says main stage, and that's it. Got. And it was, do you know what? It was like first thing on a Sunday morning, we were lambs to the slaughter, really. But if you watch the footage, that I, the footage ended up on, on a DVD, and it, I think it's on YouTube, you can see at the start, there's not many people there. By the end, there's quite a few people there, which yeah. is, that's sort of my uh, modus operandi is, you know, I don't care how many people are there at the start, there's usually more by the end. And that's a good gig for me. You know, even yeah. if it's like three people at the start, ten people by the end, good gig. And that was one of them. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Was it was it quite weird going on? Because by, by that point, you'd released In Nothing We Trust. No, In Nothing We Trust was out like in two Sundays after that. Right, okay. Yeah. So was it quite weird? Because at that point, uh, with Ruben, did you did you kind of know what the future of Ruben was going to be? Did you know that, you know, that it was going to be your sort of final full year as a band? Yeah, I had a sort of feeling when we were making the record that it was only a gut feeling that it was probably the last one. I didn't know in my head that it was going to be the last one until until about a year after the record came out, so quite close to the end. I sort of kept hoping that we would find some spark that would keep us going, and we mm. did a couple of tours. They were disastrous. We did a tour with Sum 41 that just really put that, a big old nail in the coffin. That's an odd band to appear on tour with. Stupid fucking idea. And it was my fault because I had refused an earlier tour. Because by that point, I had a full-time job. And so it was always difficult getting time off, even when I was just working at the chip shop to go on a tour. But a, a previous tour came in and they said, do you want to go on this tour? And I said, well, we can, but 
I've got to ask my job for two weeks off mm. and that's difficult for me to do so I'd rather not waste that sort of favour as it were on this yeah. tour that I don't think is particularly good and the other two boys were up for it and I was like no we shouldn't do it but I knew that when I put my foot down on that that meant that whatever the next thing was even if it was dog shit we'd have to do it and lo and behold the offer to go on tour was some 41 came in which was even worse than the one that I'd said no what to. What sort of size venues was that at that point? Because they, they were, were very big. Brixton, we did Brixton with some 41 right. and they weren't on the way up, mate. They were a long way from Fat Lip. Eddie Fat Lips. Eddie Fat Lips and uh, Eddie Big Lips. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it was fucking miserable. And the crowds were big, but they were well past their prime and they didn't speak one word to us. Yeah. Um, Cone, actually the bass player, we had a sort of a solemn conversation with Cone. I felt like he was a bit lonely. The rest of them, we didn't see them at all. It was not friendly. And the crowds did not like us. We hostile, hostile reaction. And if I was looking for something to reignite that spark of joy that I'd had at one point in that band, could not have been further from that yeah. 741 to that really did put a big nail in the coffin so bummer does but, that did that kind of inspire you know your attitude into into touring now and you know becoming that sort of community with the support bands and treating everyone on sort of a level playing field well i, I always had that and I, I was taught it by a band that are playing this venue next week called hellis for heroes oh they're playing the pyramids Oh, they're playing the pyramids, are they? are not playing here. No, they're playing well, the pyramids. Shows what I know. There you go. <laughs> um, they, um, it's going to be a good show. It is going to be a good show. They, I mean, they're they're my heroes, and they took us on our first ever tour, and they treated us in that same respectful manner. They they knew that we were all in it together, and no one's Billy Big Bollocks. And they, you know, they made that known. They took time to be our friends, and they mm. were just wonderful people. And so I learnt it from them, we learnt it from them. So, you know, then we went on other tours with other big bands who should remain nameless that did treat us like the servants almost. I thought, oh, fuck you, man. Because, the, you know, Hell is for Heroes were big news when they took us on that tour. They were much bigger than us. They didn't have to treat us with any more respect than you just have to treat your fellow person. But sometimes the big bands do like to shit on the little bands, and I can't stand that kind of behaviour. And so I made sure from that point on that we never did, but we still got shat on. And it's not that Sum 41 shat on us they didn't like we didn't we always got a sound check and we got fed you know what yeah. i mean but they didn't they just didn't make any time for us personally and maybe that's asking a bit too much and i know from personal experience that you've got a lot on your mind on tour but whatever the 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 details we just didn't feel welcome and certainly their fucking crowds didn't make us feel welcome which you could argue that they have a say in that because I always encourage my audiences, whoever I've got to support me, mm. I say, listen, I like these bands. I hope you do too. If you don't, no harm, no foul. But, you know, come down, please check them out. Check out their records. Here's their videos. Get mm. to know them. And, you know, I've put, I've put this whole tour together for my audience in the hope, like Lower Lower and Generals, I think they're fantastic. And I think anyone who comes to see me will enjoy them too. And I don't think some 41 did that i don't think they even knew who we were yeah so so their crowd just didn't give a fuck about us and i think they're partly responsible for that you are responsible for your audience at your shows and i think that my audiences are very open-minded musically and i do hope that they come 
looking forward to the sports as well as me. It's I the whole I, show. I think, it was, do you think it has to do with age as well? You know, like, you know, some of the fans that have come from the Ruben days yeah. are perhaps a little bit older and a little bit more willing to, you know, get their money's worth and see all, their band, uh, see all the bands. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I couldn't say we, there is a, Lots of people still don't turn up until it's me on stage, and yeah. I can't argue with that. You've got to have your tea, whatever. It's your, <laughs> it's your time. Um, so, no, I don't know if I could say that it was the age or the demographic uh, of people that means that they will come and check out the bands. I mean, even though there are a lot of, you know, people in their mid-30s like I am who have come from the old days, there are um, a, a pleasing amount of uh, of young folks, you know, people from their teens and twenties that are coming to these shows. You know, some people that that weren't even around when Ruben was going, that have come since. And lots of people I've spoken to, quite a few people that have never even heard my music before, that have come to this tour. Maybe their mates brought them down, yeah. Or maybe they might have even just heard just a single on the radio, and they've come to check it out. And those people are fucking great. You know, people that would take a risk on a ticket and go, why fucking not? And you know. Your mate says, you want to come along? You go, yeah, you know, it'd be a good night, whatever, you know. That's the kind of people that I connect with. Go and see your band. Don't always don't always check them out on Facebook or don't vet them on their SoundCloud before you go to say, just go to the show, check it out, you yeah. know. Um, I, I I like to take risks with uh, finding new stuff. Having said that, I wouldn't try any fucking SMT because I want the English breakfast, so I'm one to talk. <laughs> yeah, okay, now. I mean, with with the sort of curating the, the tour packages, is that do you, do you often like a lot of creative control with uh, you know things like the visual accompaniments for your for your songs, especially around Devolver, uh, or do you like to sort of put a lot of uh, trust in the people making the videos? Because the Mississippi video yeah. that was directed by Henry from Boston Manor, wasn't that's right, it? yeah. So how how did that sort of come about? What were the conversations you were having with one another before? Well, I didn't really have much to do with Henry. I thought I said, you know, we need a video to the management. And the management said, well, we've got this fellow, he looks pretty good. And he sent the treatment. And I said, yeah, I just sort of went along with it. And I think as it, as the album, because we only had that track at the time. And then I, when I had a clearer idea of what I wanted to do with the rest of the album, and I, I had a clearer picture of the thing as a whole, and a, a visual identity be, began to form in my head that's when I took slightly more control of at least the art direction of the promos if not mm. the actual sitting down and editing which is a thankless task if we're honest <laughs> yeah so then I, I got involved with some very talented directors um, and I, I said look I want it to look like this and they were very good at listening to me and well obviously they had their inputs and we worked together um, Mississippi was much more Henry's show and I was pleased to hand him the reins entirely and do what he told me mm. by the time it came to fast car and heartbeat um i was the art director but then that flipped around when we the did latter the latter of which is the heartbeat is a fucking weird video oh thanks so man. you know it's brilliant cheers yeah <laughs> it's a bit of a risk we went out on a limb yeah was was that quite you know strange filming knowing that a lot of it was going to be done in post it was strange because we were just in uh, Richard's front room in front of a green screen with his kids running about and me and my chest painted blue. <laughs> so yeah, that was weird. Having to try and find the headspace and uh, portray what you wanted on camera with uh, you know bits of cut apple on your feet and whatever. What type of apple? Uh, Braeburn, I think it was for the kids. <laughs> Granny, Granny Smith a bit too sharp for the kids, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean a lovely family and I, I enjoyed visiting this. 
I mean, it was nice for him to invite me because I'd never met him before. So, so this is the director for the Heartbeat video? For Heartbeat, it? yeah. He was great. We just He said, look, we can go somewhere with the village hall, but it might be a waste of money, to be honest. Let's just go to my house and hang up a green sheet and do it there. And I was like, right on, mate. Brilliant. Pick me up from the train station. Top man. Yeah. yeah. And a good good selection of apples. Good selection of apples, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lovely family. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Devolver, because it's a few months down the line now. Yeah. Everyone's had a chance to kind of sit with it and uh, digest it a little bit yeah. more now. And one thing I was really interested in with the sort of lead up to uh, the album and what everyone was saying about it being, uh, I think the word is, is more streamlined than, yeah. than muscle memory. It's not something that necessarily clicks with me because when I hear muscle memory, obviously you've got the two discs yeah. and one is the really sort of math-tinged heavy shit yeah. and then you've got all the you know folk-inspired stuff on the, uh, on the other side. Yeah. But with Devolver, it kind of seems to me like it's not two different styles, it's ten different styles. Mm. So what what was your what, what was your sort of mindset coming out of muscle memory? Do you know what what did you think you wanted to make when you went to the studio with Devolver? I just wanted to make a more singular, solid album. And as far as I was concerned, it was all one style. I mean, it's news to me that it's ten different styles. Um, as far as I can hear, it's like. 10 songs that sounded pretty similar. It was only after it came out that people said, well, this is just as mad as Muscle Memory. <laughs> on my CD and I was like, oh, oh. And so I've given up now trying to be normal. Be, my next album is going to be fucking wackadoo, mate. Uh, I mean, what, you know, we're going to have a polka album next, aren't we? Yeah, listen, and it'd be fucking raging, mate. Yeah, yeah. have some scatting on it and... Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> sure. Before, uh, you know, because we're talking about download earlier, uh, you're also going to Art Tangent, which yeah. is going to be amazing. Um, but I suppose the, the festival that everyone wants to hear about is Lemmania. Are we yeah. going to have a Lemmania 2 this year? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. No, I mean, when I say never say never, people always think what I mean is yes, but I'm not telling you yet. And however many times you tell people, I don't fucking know, they always think I'm like tapping my nose and winking. And like, you can't see me. But tell the audience, I'm not tapping my nose and winking. No. I don't know. <laughs> and so um, that's, the, that's the honest answer is, you know, never say never. Um, although maybe say never because it was fucking exhausting and nearly <laughs> in the ground. But who knows, if we, if we could get a nice concept together and if we had a, a blank in the schedules, I don't really know what's happening for the next half of the year. So we could do another one, potentially. I mean, there is time, but I might go on another tour or I might go out with another band or whatever. Mm. And I don't... I don't really know. We haven't got much planned past the festivals. Yeah. So that second half of the year is a blank slate. Would you Would you perhaps do it in a seated venue so there are no crowd surfers this time? Ah, <laughs> fucking crowd surfers, no. I'll just put everyone in straight jackets. You I'm, can jump up and down, but nothing with the arms. I'm, I mean, it's only, it only one me, right? And those pedals are making these sounds. And there's a huge fucking stage. Why are you delivering these prone bodies directly at my feet when they fucking unplugged my cables? Like, the music is going to stop if you keep doing that. But, uh, yeah, I don't I, know. I knew when I asked that, I, I knew I was going to get a you fucking bastard. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I never like crowd surfers and... I just can't understand the point of it, you know. We, this is a fucking rock show, not a, a jumping gym for yeah. tiny children. So, yeah, I don't approve of crowd So, Lem Mania 2 is going to be at the Royal Albert Hall then? Yeah, it is. All seated, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all clamped down, seatbelts. With the uh, people selling ice cream in the aisles. Absolutely, yeah. Albatross, yeah. I love that. Yeah. 
going to be good. Wow, so I still cannot believe, even after listening back to that, that this podcast happened. A massive, massive thanks uh, to Jamie Lemon for his time and his hospitality. I doff my cap to you, sir. Um, his latest solo album is called Devolver, and it is out now via the legends over at Big Scary Monsters. I'll leave a link uh, in the description to buy the record, especially on vinyl. I bought it on vinyl at the show, and it sounds amazing uh, on vinyl especially um jamie is playing at download festival in the uk in june you can catch him uh on the uh, avalanche stage as i believe it's called the third stage you know the one with all the cool bands on it this year um and he's also going to be at arc tangent festival in the bristol area in august uh, which again has another amazing lineup in fact i think i might have to go to arc tangent for the first time this year just to catch glass jaw uh, let alone jamie and uh, pianos because Come the teeth and all the other brilliant bands that are playing it. Um, I want to give another shout out actually before I finish this to Matt Hughes uh, over at Devil PR for making this episode happen. I know it's um, it's quite weird for quote unquote. Uh, members of the press or it's quite unconventional for us to uh, vocally thank the publicists um, but without Matt this podcast really wouldn't have happened and um, and I really appreciate his ongoing support for Bitchinborough as much as uh, you know almost as much as I appreciate you for listening thank you so much I had a blast recording this and I hope you had a blast hearing it too uh, make sure that you are subscribed to Bitchinborough on Apple Podcasts SoundCloud and Acast uh, share it with all your friends um, especially seeing as the next episode of the podcast uh, is episode number 20 it's a big milestone for such a small podcast and uh, I can't say who the guest is yet uh, but trust me when I say uh, that the guest is as big as if not a little bit bigger than Jamie Lemon. I mean, we are talking um, an artist whose latest album uh, went into the top 40 album chart seriously like that big um more info about that very soon on all my social media platforms there's links to uh, the bitch and brew facebook page and twitter and instagram they're in the description um as always so make sure you go and follow those uh, to get the scoop first now uh, before i go i'm delighted to bring you a brand new track from a band called camcorder uh, they are a trio uh, from surrey Uh, This track is taken from their forthcoming debut album, which is called Suck, and it is coming out on April 9th. Um, My good friend Joe over at Weather Girl Records is putting out the album on a really pretty little glittery cassette, which is um, on a real limited run, and then Further Sky Recordings, uh, Further Sky Records, sorry, are doing the uh, digital release of the album. Um, I believe the band will also be doing CDs and a vinyl pressing of Suck too in the near future. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, this is a track for all you 90s kids out there. Uh, It's alt-rock, full of uh, like fuzzy guitars, uh, really reminiscent of the less poppy, perhaps more angstier side of Weezer, if you will, and uh, bands like Silverchair too. I personally love this song. I'm honoured to be the first one to ever play it to the world, to the Bitchin' Brew universe, as it will. I, I don't know if I can... 
I can I have the gall to call it the bitch and brew universe. This isn't WWE after all, but I'm just want to say this is so cool that I'm going to be the first one to ever play you this song. And if you are in a band and you uh, similarly want to premiere your track on Bitch and Brew, then get in touch. Uh, my email is b.brewcast at gmail.com or you can just hit me up on the socials if that's easier and we can talk um but that is enough talking from me at least for this episode i've been danny randon this has been the bitch and brew podcast you've been fucking awesome and i'll leave you in the capable hands of camcorder this is their brand new song called ashes see you later on folks no away.